0: Hey guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I am comedian Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. Please enjoy this classic clip, which is available in full at patreon.com forward slash Steel Wars. So how did you break into doing voice acting?
1: Uh, Just by the virtue of the fact uh, that I just kept pestering people about it wherever i worked when i worked with richard edland uh you know at his visual effects company they would be working on stuff where uh you know they were working on early uh motion um what you motion simulator uh, ride films you know like star tours yeah they would do those and uh and they were working on uh producing early video games and by early i mean not the ones you play at home the ones that would go into the arcades uh, so I would always volunteer to to do a scratch track, which is a temporary voice track for things like that. So I got a, kind of a reputation because when I wasn't doing that, I was going around pestering everybody by doing you know impressions of like Cary Grant and things like that. You know, going around you know having conversations and, and character voices. So everybody knew that I was kind of like into that. And, so, and at the
0: time, was your Star Wars game strong? Were you doing good Star Wars voices?
1: No, you know, I was just doing a lot of uh, you know I was really into. I was studying a lot of films. so I was watching a lot of classic movies and studying how not only the acting was done at that time period, because I was a friend of mine who was an acting and a voice teacher, and we would watch films specifically to look for different actors' performances. So I was watching a lot of classic stuff. And uh, prior to working for Richard at Boss, I was working at a little place on uh, Seward Street in Hollywood. And it, Seward Street is you know between Santa Monica and... Melrose it's all little motion picture companies everything there is has something to do with the industry Um, animator Bob Clampett has had his studio Uh, Joe Westheimer who had done the opticals for like Star Trek and all this stuff they all had shops on Seward Street and I worked for a little place called Wexler Films and the guy and they used to make educational and science films things like that the narrator that used to come in and do all that stuff was a guy by the name of Vic Perrin who uh, was the narrator for the original Outer Limits, you know, the do not adjust your set, Ah, we will control, and the voice of Nomad on Star Trek, you know, you are the creator, Uh, you know, you are the Kirk, or the, you know, so... Uh, I, was, I, was, uh, I was in seventh heaven because I was getting to meet a real voiceover actor and watch, watch him work, and he had the most complicated stuff he had to do. It was all scientific jargon, you know, the chemistry films and all this kind of stuff, and he'd been doing that stuff there for, for decades, I think since the 1950s, and eventually I got to scratch for Vic, and that was the very first time I actually got paid to do some voiceover work. And they had a very primitive setup. I mean, you know, we have a couple of microphones here and a digital recorder. What they used to do is they used to go into the screening room and they'd give Vic his script. He'd lay it down on the table. They had a single microphone set up. And they had a Nagra tape recorder, which is a quarter-inch reel-to-reel tape recorder. And they would just turn it on and he would record it. And then when he was finished, they would say, Okay, you can make noise. (laughs) (laughs) And he'd do it in one take. Well, I mean, he sometimes he would do... um, uh, multiple takes, you know, stumbling over a word or something. But they never turned the tape recorder off. They would just let it run until he was finished. And he was he was really good. I mean, he's just, he'd been doing that uh, for decades. And he had worked for Cy, Cy Wexler, for so many years. I mean, he, he knew what to expect when he went in there.
0: And, and what was, like, the first role, like, of note that really excited you? You've done, like, you look at your IMDB and there's just... Brrr, there's, there's so many...
1: Well, you know, what's funny is that a lot of voice actors, myself included, I mean, most of the stuff that I did before I got into film and uh, television roles was uh, commercials which, you know, are it's a very lucrative way to make a living as a voice actor. You know, so I was doing things, you know, commercials for like McDonald's and Wells Fargo and all those kinds of things. People were hearing my voice, but there's no credits at the end of a commercial. Uh, So nobody really knows. And prior to the IMDb, there is no way for anybody to know who was working on what. But one of the first credits I had was... Working on uh, doing voices for Titan AE, the uh, animated film. Yeah, and we did all that. The we did all that uh, up at Skywalker Sound, up in their Foley room, which was an amazing place. They had a London taxi in there. They had all kinds of props and machinery, so it was was a really cool place to do one of my first big gigs.
0: And was that on the ranch?
1: Uh, Let's see. Yeah, yeah, it was on the. I believe it was at Skywalker Ranch in those days. I'm not sure, because they moved everything to the Letterman uh, Digital Center for the most part, right? Yeah. And everything, I think, at that time period was done, I think, over at Skywalker Ranch, which is a beautiful place, you know, vineyards and all that kind of stuff. That's the
0: hallowed ground.
1: Yes, it is.
0: That is the turf. If I ever get to go there, I'm stealing some dirt.
1: (laughs) There you go. Put it in a little vial. Don't tell your dad. No, 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 no. I won't tell a soul.
0: Titan I E. That was a for its time a bit of a here's the new Star Wars sort of pitch was it?
1: Yeah, I think it was. It was. It was different in that it was sort of a kind of a serious animated sci-fi, two D animated, and it wasn't CG. It was done with traditional animation. There might have been some CG overlays, or you know. Uh, there was a time there where they would take a lot of th- things that were hard to create or draw by hand, like machinery, rocket ships, things they would they would render them in CG, and then they would ink and paint over the top of it. You know, so it would be an animated thing that had uh, it was a combination. You know, so but I'm not sure exactly. It has been so long since I have watched Titan A. But I played a bunch of like different aliens and colonists and prisoners and things like that.
0: And what was your path to ending up on? Star Wars: The Clone Wars.
1: I auditioned for it. I had done prior to uh, the Clone Wars. I had been doing uh, Ben Kenobi for the Lucas Arts division of Lucasfilm for their games, Empire at War and Battlefront, and I had done like Darth Maul and I think uh, a couple of the like somebody like General Dodonna or things like that, and. So they at uh, when they were doing Clone Wars, they were already in recording for season two. I don't think it was on the air yet, but they were recording for season two, and they needed a voice match for Masameda. So that was what I uh, auditioned for, and that's what I booked. And I, you know, it was one of those uh, things where I didn't really know that much about. I don't. And to, to be honest, I don't know in in Legends or in the Expanded Universe at the time how much. Uh, story there was about the Ma- Mandalorians, mm-hmm. but I was thrown right into the middle of that Mandalore arc. You know, it was the episode was Duchess of Mandalore. And I'm like, they're starting to talk about all this stuff before we go into the recording. And I have no idea what any of this stuff is. I'm like, I don't know what the, this Mandalore, who this Duchess of Tine is, anything, you know, I was, it was extremely confusing to be thrown in the middle of that arc. But Dave Filoni was very good at, uh, you know, explaining everything. And he, uh, my initiation into the uh, into the world of the Clone Wars was that uh, he gave me at the end of my session. He goes, we don't have a Masa Meda figure for you, but here's a nice TIE fighter. It was in a little package, and I still have that. It was one of those die-cast TIE fighters. Nice. Yeah.
0: He uh, Meda is not doing that well in uh, the new canon. He's, well, very, he's, he's, in ca- very, he's very depressed.
1: Really? He's in Catalyst. He had a big role in that. And he was in the Tarkin novel as well. And, he was uh, uh,
0: I think in Aftermath he's considering ending it all.
1: Oh, is he is he in some of the ones that come Yeah. Oh really? So okay, he, I have to catch up. He's been going. He's what's his rank? Because he went from like, I don't know, Vice Chancellor to Grand Vizier and they they've given him all these strange uh uh, ranks that I'm not even sure what they what they are. I think he's political
0: criminal at the moment. Okay, yeah, he's <laughs> not doing persona that well. non grata with well. a lot of people. But when you did the video games for the first time, was that like a special thing to to go back and and contribute to you know this uh, franchise that like
1: excited you so much when you were little? Absolutely, because at that time, I think around 2005, that was pretty much the end. You know, Re- uh, Revenge of the Sith, I think was had come out, and there wasn't, there wasn't anything else on the horizon, so it was really fun to be involved in the, in the games, and it's part of what the excitement uh, about being involved in Clone Wars was, is because we all kind of knew that there weren't going to be any more movies, so it was great to be working on the television show and to keep the saga going, you know, because wasn't didn't look like there was going to be ever a film made again.
0: Yeah, I had, you know, George had said this was going to be the last one, Revenge of the Sith. Much mm-hmm. like he said Return of the Jedi was going to be the last one. And I um I get suckered in by his lies. And I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to find out they're, they're mistruths. It was really strange coming out of Revenge of the Sith because I had that same feeling that it reminded me when I was, you know, maybe like four coming out of Return of the Jedi and just going, that's it, no more. And then as an adult coming out, the exact same thing of like, that's it, there's no more. And now there's...
1: Endless.
0: Well, and that's Never what, again.
1: I agree because, you know, when Revenge of the Sith ended, all of a sudden the set pieces and everything started to look very familiar because they replicated everything from uh, A New Hope. And so then there's, you know, they're on the bridge and you see all the controls, you know, the and the spaceship and and then it ends and you're like, "No, not now. It's just <laughs> getting good. I can go for another hour." You know, it's like, yes. "Let's keep going on this." Yeah, so, maybe
0: just make a film of what happens just before Star Wars. Exactly.
1: Which is why I think, you know, part of the disappointment on the Attack of the Clones is that I think we all thought we were going to see the Clone Wars mm. and it, you know, it ended with you know, begun the Clone Wars has, and then Revenge of the Sith picks up, and it's like, whew, glad those Clone Wars are over. You know, <laughs> but because of that, though, that gave us the opportunity to do the show, which I'm very grateful for.
0: And how? So you did Masamider. How did that lead into Tarkin? Now, I, is it something like you know, we we're not in the animated show business world. Does it work like, hey, Masamider, come do Tarkin as well, or is it a new audition process? Do you go into a room and there's all these Tarkins trying to warm up
1: <laughs> no the uh in voiceover you know we get auditions uh uh if you're lucky you get them on a daily basis you know they they come to your agent the agent you know passes them along to you with tarkin and once again you have to remember they uh this was very interesting you know and most of the um most of the auditions for star wars the clone wars they were really worried about uh security leaks and Things getting out, so they would even say in the emails. Don't say this is for Clone Wars. Just send it to your clients and say, "Here's this audition." We don't want to mention Star Wars or Clone Wars or anything in the auditions. And they used to take the audition dialogue and they would doctor it so that if there was the word droid or anything like that, it would be changed to robot or something. Sometimes you thought, I'm, "Is this a, is this a medieval, you know, some sort of medieval knights or something like mm-hmm. battling?" You had no idea what it was. So Tarkin, the Tarkin um, um, audition came to my agent, and they said, it's funny, they said, this is for a sergeant. They said, this is for the role of the sergeant. That's all it said. And then at the bottom, it said, we need a Peter Cushing sound alike. (laughs) 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 So I kind of put two and two together. It's like, even though the the dialogue had been doctored not to say Star Wars, and they called the role, the character, the sergeant. Uh, And who knows, that may have been the original rank they had in mind, because... He, he appeared in the Clone Wars as a captain to start with. Uh, so, you know, I uh, did m- my best, uh, you know, Peter Cushing voice match based on a younger version of Peter Cushing uh, for the Clone Wars. So that's that's where that that's where that came from.
0: And does it shock you that that was the character that you like were really into when you first saw Star Wars and. That this Like, don't you think that's like, you know, we always talk about Star Wars and Destiny and and Luke looking out to the twin sons, but, mm-hmm. you know, Stephen Stanton, like, tripping out that, uh, that, that Peter Cushing's off the TV and in this science fiction film, and now you've got, you know, this vague script comes to you, you get a hint at the bottom, and you get the role... Does that not freak you out a little bit?
1: No, it was, a, it was a godsend. You know, you're looking at this and you think, oh, this is an actor that I really admire. And this is the to, you know, expand a role in a, in a way that we never, you know, the audience never got to see. So there's a lot of pressure. You know, you're excited, but there's the expression, uh, pressure to do justice to both the actor mm-hmm. and, you know, the writing and everything else that goes along with the creation of the character. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and, and very exciting. But, you know, and who'd ever thought that they were going to bring that character back? You know, because, you know, it wasn't in any of the prequels. So you think, well, you know, why would they do it? But, you know, the, the logic of trying to see, like, well, what are the backstories of some of these characters that we know from the later films? Mm. You know, The Clone Wars was a perfect opportunity to let us see more of what that character was about. And they really did a great job with it. That Citadel trilogy... Really uh, cemented some of the, you know, like the relationship between him and Anakin about them agreeing about the Jedi being a peacekeeping force and not knowing how to win a, a war because they don't go far enough. And you know, you started to get an idea of the mindset of these characters. Tarkin in those days it was funny because he's not a, he's not the villain. You know, he's working with the mm. Jedi. They're all working together. He's just thinking we've got to go further, you know, if we want to beat the, the separatists, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's an interesting... I, I talk about this, you know, this whole, the uh, uh, the sort of element of gray, because in that in that time period, who are the bad guys? Is it the separatists? I mean, because if the if the Republic becomes the Empire, the separatists are really the rebels, you know, and from that standpoint, I mean, there's so many different ways to look at it. There's so many facets yeah. to it. It's, it gets very confusing, and I think that's part of, like, you know... What makes that, that time period so interesting is because, you know, you don't know. That's why the Jedi, got, I think that's why they got confused and they got yeah. caught up in their own stuff. Well, that's the brilliance of, of Sheev's
0: like whole plan. Yeah. A couple times that he sort of went to one group. They said this about you. They said this about you. And they fight. And he's just there like he's he's the, the, the troublemaker in school that just sits back and goes, oh, yeah, this is going to pay off for me.
1: I, and I was just thinking about this recently. I was talking to someone else about, uh, you know, when the, uh, because Rogue One is all about the Death Star plans, you figure there had to be more than one copy of those plans, right? They wouldn't just make one and no backup. It would be interesting if the separatists, because in the, I think it's in Catalyst, I think Krennic is worried about. There's a there's a chapter where he's pondering why the uh, construction site hasn't been attacked by the separatists. Uh,
0: can I, I have to pull you up? Yeah, okay. If you can just respect the podcast, yeah, and refer to oh to oh Krennic. Mendo. Thank you, Mendo. Sorry about that. Okay, just
1: <laughs> when uh,
0: just let's just keep it like just be respectful of my culture and my people. That's right. Yes. All right, thank you. You may proceed.
1: Uh, when, uh, when, Mendo, when Mendo talks about uh, they have an attack, the construction site, and he goes, maybe they don't care. Maybe the separatists are building their own Death Star, and maybe they've got the weapon part figured out. I think that would have been a great... God, think about it. If they had built two of those things and they start battling out out in space, there, no, there's a there's a Star Wars movie I would go see,
0: just to see them ram. It's like into a demolition derby. Yeah, yeah, that'd be <laughs> fantastic. Two
1: hyperdrive Death Stars going at it, and who wow, uh, to get you on that story group?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's got Marvel comic written all over it. <laughs> <laughs> to hear the.